filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. past week just pretty much entirely doing research on more on erie pennsylvania i think that's what our listeners want uh, and i think that's what they deserve and so we need to and i'm them... gonna stop you i'm gonna stop you right there jason <laughs> thank you ben i'm actually gonna rescue this uh cold open just like anyone who is leaving erie pennsylvania needs to be rescued uh by talking about how it is my daughter's fourth birthday today and Aww. We had a uh, online get together with my parents using a Google product of they have so many products that whoever knows what they're called. Um, but uh, that was nice. Uh, her friends at daycare sang happy birthday to her twice because the first time she uh, yelled stop it uh, in the middle of the song because she was not having a good time. Um because she likes to sing the song. Okay. She doesn't like it. Sure. She doesn't want it sung at her. But apparently yeah, the sure. second apparently the second time they sang it, uh, she just joined in and then uh that 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 worked out well. Uh and so yeah, I wanted to rescue us from the pits of Erie by wishing my daughter a happy fourth birthday and uh bringing back Filibuster's tradition of telling cute kid stories. I am here for it. Uh, she got much a, more than uh, I'm here for Erie. She also got a uh, her own gardening plant set from my parents with uh, with a little uh, tin that you can plant seeds in. You can paint the tin with the mm. included paints. Uh, she can just grow her own uh, seeds, uh, herbs, whatever. And you're going to post them the... on pictures of them on Twitter, right? As they sprout and come up. Yes, of course. Okay, Probably Instagram because it's more Instagram thing, but. I also have to admit, I did not spend any time researching Erie, Pennsylvania. We don't want to hear any more about Erie, Pennsylvania. <laughs> I didn't ever learn anything. Again. Jason, I didn't learn anything Jason, at all. Jason, Jason. <laughs> so this is where I go into a long uh, and detailed story of my own. Okay, I guess I have to do it. Hey, hey, welcome in. in this is Filibuster, <laughs> the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Ben. I'm saving you all from everything. And uh, they are... Uh, uh, Jason and Adam, I have stolen this podcast from Adam and am trying to pull it back. You're in the uncomfortable the... role of having to keep the show on the rails, as opposed right? To exactly. Normal. I'm putting it back on the rails, back on the canals, uh, back on the Erie Canal. Damn it! And normal I'm service back. is resumed. <laughs> uh, this is indeed filibuster the Black and Red United podcast. Ben Bromley, Jason Anderson, I'm Adam Taylor. Uh, tonight, we are going to find some DC United things to talk about. That is usually what we do, being all writers for blackandredunited.com, uh, which covers DC United. In the second segment, we are going to have Jeff Reuter from The Athletic on to help us preview DC United's return to regular season-ish play in Cincinnati. That'll happen on Friday night at 7.30, watched on ESPN+. Plus and only on ESPN plus more on that later before we get to any of that though, Ben, you are our, uh, our, our rescuer, our savior, our, our valiant knight in shining t-shirt today. Mm -hmm. yes. uh, what are you drinking? I am drinking a uh, Corona tropical lime seltzer. Uh, are you seltzer I am. It's seltzer weather. It's seltzer lifetime. It's, is it? I'm old enough where I can't drink like, double IPAs and triple IPAs that are like 10% or even 6% all the time, just because they've got so many calories in them and I, I don't need to feel the bloat of them. So I'm trying to go a little lighter. That's all. Okay. I, yeah. Are you enjoying it's, it? It's fine. Okay. 
that that's what counts. I feel like that's that's about what all of the branded uh, alcoholic seltzers aspire to. Is it's fine. Yeah, I tr- last week I, I last week I tried a um, a seltzer from the Natural Light Company. Is this one better or worse? We're the same. Um, this one's better. Okay. Yeah, it's better. Was that was the natural light <laughs> seltzer not good? Um, their cherry one tastes like most things. Cherry flavored tastes like children's medicine. Sure. Okay. So, I was hoping more for a natter days feel, and it wasn't quite natter days. Right. Jason, up there in Maryland, what are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking uh, the exact same thing as last week. I have my Knob Greek uh, single barrel select. I have one ice cube from my ice cube mold. I think I might be using the same rocks glass even. Um, So yeah, it's exactly the same as last week. No changes. Okay. Uh, I I am down in the mountains of of Virginia uh, in between Charlottesville and Staunton. And uh, Stanton. Stanton. Okay. There's a, why is there a you? The past. The past. The past. But yes, that's, that's on the top of the list of uh, uh, place names in Virginia that you can instantly tell if someone's not from Virginia, by the way, they pronounce it. Here, I'm not. We'll play, we'll play a game. Adam, does that bother you more than Bowie, Maryland being spelled exactly like David Bowie's last name? Which one bothers you more? Oh, Stanton, a hundred percent. Okay. At least Bowie, Maryland, there's a Bowie knife. That's true. So there's multiple things that are pronounced that way. It, do, it still doesn't really make sense, but I just wanted to see what someone with no vested interest in either uh, who might be more bothered. Yeah, Bowie, I, about, can, I can deal with. Okay. What about uh, Versailles? I mean, English I like phonetics. <laughs> I mean, there, I, I come from... Southern Indiana and Kentucky stock. I understand Versailles. Like I get it. Cairo. Um, yeah, I'm not from Illinois. I don't claim them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm down here in Virginia, um, and and I have a uh, pretty sure this is a yeah a, a Virginia brewery out of a- Ashburn. So back up north, uh, Black Ox and their Rye Porter, which is pretty tasty it is a very hard beer to pour because it the carbonation just erupts out of it even if you pour it very slowly and very gently so you just have to do it in stages but i i managed to open it up early enough before the podcast that i was able to pour it all into the glass and now i can just enjoy the thing which is nice um because i like drinking beer a lot more than pouring beer so that's what i'm going to be doing for the rest of this show well that and talking at you people um, out there with earbuds in your ears. Uh, DC United start play again on Friday, as as I said, and uh, we've talked on recent shows. They have some... It feels like it's something in the future. Like, I said to myself earlier, there's a game on Friday in an empty room to sort of, like, ground myself in that knowledge, and it, it disappeared immediately. And then when you said it just now, I was like, it's Friday there's a game on this Friday and it's Monday. I did the there's same no thing when I, I was down in the, we're, we're staying in a cabin. I was down in the living room with my wife and just said out of the blue, as I'm prepping my show notes, uh, DC United plays next week. And then I had to like correct myself. I mean, they because, do, but yeah, it's like, no, they play before next week. They play Friday um, of this week. They play in four days as we record this on Monday night. So ain't that a thing. Um, as we talked about on recent shows, uh, the black and red have some work to do. Uh, they really need to improve on their showing down in Orlando. Uh, we've talked about the coaching and the tactics part of it, but players obviously are another aspect of it. And tonight that's what we're going to focus on. Some players who need to step up. Jason, you pitched this segment idea. Uh, why don't you go first? Uh, I I guess needs to step up. The, the player that comes to mind for me is Ola Kamara. Um, and it was first on my here, list as well. Okay. 
Um, sorry for taking. <laughs> I, have a, I have a long list. You're prepared. Good. I mean, I guess we could all be pretty easily prepared at this point with the way the season's gone. Um, Pick yeah, a name. Ola, Ola name. Kamara, yeah, um, almost. Pretty much. Um, uh, the issue with Ola Kamara since he's gotten here has not so much been production. It's just been he's been hurt a lot. Um, last year in limited minutes, he managed three goals. Um, his strike rate was above his already lofty uh, MLS career strike rate, if you broke it down on a per 90 basis. Um, and it was just that he got hurt a couple times. It was like, okay, he's been out of, he, he hasn't been playing very much. You know, the things in China didn't work for him. He had a lot of time where he was just training. I get it. He's got a couple knocks. He'll be fine next year. This year is next year. Uh, and he's had, I think, two preseason injuries and then got hurt in game two. No. Game one, he didn't even, he didn't make yeah. it to game two. He got hurt in game one, and then he came back for MLS's back, and he got hurt in the first half of the first game of MLS's back. Had to be subbed off, sat out a game, and then uh, did he play in that third game a little bit? Am I misremembering? I might be misremembering. In any case, he didn't play very much. Um, and so it's been really difficult to get a read on uh, what is he going to do with DC United? Um I thought, like I said, last year in limited minutes, it was promising. He almost, him him and Rooney's injuries almost dovetailed perfectly in a way in which they were never on the field together. Uh, I think we talked about this in the offseason. It was like a 60-minute span um, of time in which they were both in game at the, in a game at the same time. And that so was he across didn't get, like three or four games. Right. It was little little splashes here and there. And so he didn't get the best of United's creative punch at that, at that point in time. And he still managed to get some goals. So we know he can do the job. Um, So really for me, it's more, can he stay healthy for long enough for United to rely on him? Because otherwise uh, there is not a lot of goal scoring punch on this team. You know, Yamil Assad, we know can do, can do a good job as a winger goal scorer, but he's not the guy that's going to carry the goal scoring load. He can't be the number one guy. Hey, Jason. Um, Yep. Remember when we when we were telling this podcast and all of the listeners of it that in January and February DC United needed another striker? It turns out they still do. Um yeah. I mean, you know, I, I I know Eric Sorga didn't really convince uh down in Florida. I also I I accept the rationale for why that went the way it did, the fact that he had the coronavirus scare um and had, had some time for several days. Yeah, um, that'll throw Mo- anyone off. I feel moved like. moved to a brand new country that immediately went into lockdown, where he doesn't know people except his teammates yeah. a little bit. Exactly, and and he's he's twenty. Um, so yeah, he's had an extremely hectic year. So I get it. Um, but that also means that if he's if if we're gonna write off twenty twenty for him as a getting adjusted year in all this chaos, then that just adds to the pressure on Kamara. Um, we the media members are getting a chance to talk to Ben Olson and a couple of players this coming Wednesday. Um, and you know, the fitness status of a lot of players is something we need to know about. We need to know about Edison Flores. Um, but for me, uh, I think you can replace Flores to a certain extent. You've got Pipa Iguain, you've got some midfield depth in that line underneath the forward. You can't really replace Kamara if he's not playing well then this team is in trouble and so i feel like um i'm not surprised somebody else had him at top of the list because i i feel like we need to see the ola kamara that mls teams have seen in the past which is someone that plays every week and scores frequently um it's not a huge ask it just if he can't stay healthy then dc's got a big big problem on their hands ben who is second on your list well, I've got, like I said, I got a number of people. I'm going to, I'm going to zag on it a little bit. Uh, and I'll come back to the person who's actually second on my list. If I, if I need to, if you don't take him, I'm going to go with junior Moreno needs to, who was top of my list, actually. Oh, uh, well, you want to take him instead. I can, I'll, uh, you take him and then I'll come back to my sure. second. I'll, I'll take junior Moreno. Um, central midfield is pretty critical in, in the modern game. And DC United is better when they have a number six who can just eat things up in zone 14. 
Uh, and, and Junior Moreno was able to do that when United were good in, in the last couple of years. He was not able to do that at all in Orlando. And we saw what happened uh, the first half against Toronto. And then um, just the, the play was stagnant when he was on the field and they had the ball and a bit of the, the midfield was a bit of a sieve uh, throughout. And you got to have a number six there who can lock it down. And that's supposed to be Moreno, and it has been, uh, but but we didn't see it, and we need to because no matter what style or or tactics Ben Olsen throws out there, if the midfield is letting runners through and letting the ball just cut them cut them apart, uh, it doesn't matter. The tactics won't matter at that point because they're going to get eaten up. And with Fred Briant and and Stephen Birnbaum on the back line. Uh, there's not enough speed there to cover for an invisible number six. So uh, a lot of times when we see the the center backs get get really really cut up, it's it's because they don't have protection from the central midfield. And Fred Briant got cut up a bit in Orlando without that protection. He needs it. Stephen Birnbaum is certainly helped by it as well. So uh, on both sides of the ball, I really want to see Moreno uh, show up and, and be his old self. Yeah. No, nothing to add. I mean, I mean, I mean that, that pretty that's much exactly what I was going to say. Um, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the competition for time there at least is, is strong because you've got Felipe and Canal. So they're battling for those two spots, most likely those two spots. I mean, Ben Olson talked about tweaking tactics before we, we could see that again. Um, definitely want to ask about that on Wednesday. But, um, yeah, I, I think in any vision of the team, you've got to expect Moreno is going to play a part, and you've got to expect that he needs to be his normal self. He's just been a little behind. I think we've talked about this on the show that um, he had picked up a yellow card in every single game he played until he um, – got suspended and then uh, finally went one game without one when he came back from suspension. Um, that's not normal for him. Normally he's not that guy. Um, and it's not that he suddenly is angry and is kicking people. It's that he's just been late. Um, and that's been, sometimes you're late and you commit a foul. Sometimes you're late and you, you are so late that the ball has gotten by you completely. And it's been, it's been rough, quite frankly, for him. I, I He's a lot better than we've seen. All right, Ben, who is actually number two on your list? I mean, number two on my list was Edison Flores. It, I'm, he's, he's been injured, and that's been a part of it. But when you spend a record-setting fee to bring a guy in, uh, there needs to be more production than this, even as you get used to uh, a league. Um, th- part of the reason that the attack in the MLS's back tournament was so anemic was definitely because they could not connect the uh, defensive midfield with the attacking midfield. It it all went up the wings and then maybe never got anywhere past that. And part of that, like we just talked about is on the defensive midfield on junior Moreno and, and others. But some of that is definitely still on Edison Flores and he just looked so on an Island the entire time uh, that he was playing. He was never able to uh, become influential in any way, shape or form. I think I just looked up the stats. He had one shot total in his entire time at MLS's back. And yes, he's more of a creator uh, number 10 than Lucho Acosta is more, is more of a like, goal scoring number 10 but still one shot only that's just that's just not gonna cut it and just on the eye test we could all tell that he wasn't having any influence whatsoever he wasn't bringing other guys in he wasn't uh uh uh, keying goal scoring opportunities so he wasn't getting touches he just right and and again some of that is part of the defensive midfield and some of that's on him like with lucho acosta we're we're going to compare them at least for a little while. Uh, Lucho would 
just if he wasn't getting the ball, he would drop back and drop back and drop back and demand the ball, get it on his foot, and then run at guys and then start to create that way. And sometimes that led to Lucho running at a guy, getting dispossessed and led to a counterattack. But sometimes it led to Lucho uh, 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 starting his own attack and getting the ball in a dangerous position. And so the whole team has to figure it out, but Edison Flores is part of that, about how to get him more possession and when he has that possession when he can start to do more with that and start to bring in the other players and like start to make this offense click yeah it's a tricky situation with flores because so far at least he's looked less like a a playmaker and he's more of someone who's going to do a lot create a lot of danger off the ball um and he's not necessarily the guy that's going to pick the lock every single time with his passing. Um, he's still, I think, a really, really talented player that DC has failed to get the best out of at this point. Um, yeah. But, you know, at a certain point, you do need someone uh, occupying some sort of playmaking role. And when you look at the makeup of the midfield, you've got, you know, Gressel's been at his best when he's out on the touchline. Speaking of guys that need to... Um, yep. A, need yep. to be better, but B, need to be – DC needs to find a way to help them be better. Um, we'll I think talk about those, him in a minute. Yeah, Flores and Gressel are those guys. Um, you know, Gressel's best when he's out very wide. Um, Yamil Assad is a very good – Also on my list. Secondary guy, but he's not going to take the reins and control the game. Um, if, if it takes finding a way to get – Iguain on the field and it becomes like Gressel, Iguain, and Flores underneath Kamara. That's I would hope that's something that's on the table. Um, I also think that if, if DC wants to play without a playmaker in that line of three, then Felipe has to be given A has to be given a clear role and say, You're a deep line playmaker now. We're gonna put Canals next to you. He's gonna do the running. You do creating from deep. Also, he's gonna have to play better. Um, he's going to have to do that part Minor of detail. the job better. Now, I will say, you know, in the TFC game, yes, he should have been sent off, but he did show some creative chops with them down to 10. Um, the difference is that the game isn't going to set up like that very often. Like that was a once in over a decade kind of game. We're not going to get that too many times. Um, so I'm not sure it's the wisest philosophy to have the playmaking role end up out of that line of three and have it be deep. Um, we're used to it not really being in the line of three because of Rooney. Um, last year, Rooney was the team's playmaker. Um, and it's fine if you want to move that around. That's a creative way in the modern game. It doesn't have to be the, the guy playing centrally in that line of three, but someone's got to, someone's got to take charge, whether, whether it's Flores, whether it's Iguain or someone else, because otherwise the attack is going to struggle. Yeah, we've seen LAFC. Their playmaker is Carlos Vela, by and large, out on the wing. They have Latif Blessing in that number 10 spot to just press everyone to death. Um, you mentioned Julian Gressel. I'm going to bring him up. Uh, our, our old buddy, Matt Doyle at MLSsoccer.com, made Gressel and whether he can settle in uh, his one big question for, for DC United. And, and he's not wrong to key on on Gressel. Like you said, he's been best out wide in his career, even as a wing back, where he has lots of space and he can kind of be almost a, a late runner to send in a cross when there are lots of targets already in the box. And he's not just looking for one guy. He can pick out who he wants out of the chaos. And that was usually Joseph Martinez, but um, he was able to take advantage of uh, forcing defenders to make decisions and his teammates making runs and I think making runs is also a player who should be on, on our list tonight because there was not a lot of making runs happening in Florida. Um, got to work off the ball. It's got to happen. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I would add with, with, um, with Gressel, um, some of this comes down to team philosophy. Um, when Gressel was in Atlanta, they were willing to take the risk of, opening the field up, playing touchline to touchline and having guys go forward. Um, And DC is often not willing to take those two risks. They're not willing to give up their compactness and they are not willing 
uh, to send enough numbers forward on a regular basis um, to play that style. Um, and they've got to find some way. I, I think this is the, the way to unlock Gressel is you've got to allow him to play that far wide frequently. And if, if, if it becomes a situation where after a turnover, you've got to deal with a new midfield shape, maybe you adopt a sort of an asymmetrical look where if Gressel stays out on the touchline and you've turned the ball over, you've got to temporarily play a box midfield with everyone else that's left. Then you've got to work on that, but they've got to find some way to allow him to do what he's good at and accept that comes with some risk to the team shape. Empty bucket with Gressel as a, an attacking fullback. This is something that could be, uh, I mean, the team needs goals and we haven't, the thing is we haven't seen, even when DC has been in a bad spot yet, we haven't seen Olsen go that route where he's, well, we haven't seen him say, I'm going to pull my right back. Gressel, you're back there now, but you're really, you're right back, scare quotes, but really your job is to get forward. Um, we haven't seen that yet. We've seen that happen a lot in the past. Um, that also, is how Andy it, Nahar became a right back. Right? He was yeah. not there before, and it was like, well, let's try him there. And then all of a sudden it was like, hey, you know what? That was that was not so bad. And it's been a while since we've seen Ben Olsen go two forwards. Been a well, that, I mean, time. this year, well, this year we haven't had the option. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, but you could do, you could do like, yeah, you could do I, like, that's uh, my question. Ol- at this point, who would your second forward be? Uh, Edison Flores. Do Ola Kamara, Edison Flores. And then uh, probably the, that him and Pipa are, are the options, yeah. I would say, because right. once you have two forwards, you don't need two strikers. Right. You know, the difference between striker and forward. Um, right. I, I will say that I, I feel like if Olsen wanted to play two forwards, um, he would be probably more interested in playing three, five, two. But then this comes to another problem we've run into, which is you got to have some more center backs. Uh, DC only just barely got a fourth. Right. And I'm also trying to alleviate the uh, who's the playmaker problem with an empty bucket. Sure. Yeah. So no, yeah. I'm like, I, I, it's a joke, but it's also not a joke at all. I think it could be interesting. Maybe I'll write about this for the site. Yeah. I mean, if you, if, if he's fit enough, you put Pipa, I guess, up top playing as a false nine or whatever you want to call it up there, put Flores out on one side. Um, Assad on the other. Assad, like they both, they both the love other. to cut in. They both love to cut in, yeah. like Donovan and Dempsey did in the heydays of the USMNT empty bucket. You can tell exactly how old all of us are right now. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and when we got really into soccer nerdery, um, yeah, I don't hate it. I don't. Um, Mora can get forward. You have Gressel out there to cross. Yeah, Let, let's. Let's try it. Why not? Against Cincinnati too, you know they're going to be sitting back. So, well, that's that's something else. Is is we we should, we're going to talk about this? Do we know that? Because now they've had time to be like, okay, we got clobbered. We parked the bus for a couple of games. It actually was okay. Is that what we want to be, or are we going to try and not do that? And it was just tournament play only. It's hard for we don't have a a good track record on that with with Yop Stan because he just got to the league. We don't really know what he actually wants to do with that group. We don't even know what he actually looks like. Yeah, I was gonna say it doesn't <laughs> help that they the players don't know which person to listen to, which bald white man is the right one. Jason uh, Statham walks in, they're like, We're listening to of, you this week. One of the one of the great MLS moments, I think, is is the fact that Cincinnati tweeted a photo of the wrong human being as the, to announce their new head coach after having had many other head coaches. Um, yep, so many. They have so much yeah. practice at announcing head coaches. We had history. a lot of extremely MLS things happen this year. I stayed up last night to watch Dashville, uh, Dashville, Dallas <laughs> and Nashville. Um, That's play. what they're called now. Dashville yeah, is they, what they're, they're called. They're now one team. They're one place. Uh, and they only play after midnight. Um, yeah, so it's been an extraordinarily bizarre year, and Cincinnati is one of the most bizarre teams, even in this the strangest of leagues. So after the break, we're going to have Jeff Reuter from The Athletic on to to, to – help us preview this game uh, against Cincinnati. Before we do, uh, I, I want to ask again why this game is even happening. Um, we, we've talked about the TV partners being the big reason 
MLS is back was was a tournament that happened. And that seems to be one of the reasons that MLS really wanted to get play going in markets again, because teams aren't going to make money on the gate. They're not going to make money on concessions. They're probably losing money playing these games, getting charter flights to Ohio and and whatnot. But this game's not even on TV. It's only on ESPN+. Plus. So why is MLS forcing teams to have a three-week, six-game sprint when the, Dal- the, the Dashville games were not available on TV? They were only on streaming. This game is only going to be on streaming. Why is this game happening from an MLS perspective? I don't, I don't know the answer. I mean, uh, I guess if you're going to have the LAFC and NYCFC games and the Atlanta United games, you, you can't just have a six, te- six mega team tournament. No, but you don't need to rush 18 games into to short windows and get all these games happening. You don't have to yeah. force that either. And you can try to get them on national TV because there's space. I mean, I mostly agree with you to trying to uh, figure out where MLS is coming from. I think they want their big teams on the best platforms and they have to just deal with the rest of us. I mean, I feel like uh, DC United fans can appreciate or not appreciate, but can know the feeling of uh, being... uh, cast aside in favor of the new hotness, whether it be uh, the New York Red Bulls, Atlanta, LAFC, LA Galaxy, whoever the league has decided is the the hot team of the moment, DC United always seems to get uh, uh, cast aside in favor of them. And so it's it's a similar thing happening now, just on a, on a league-wide basis. Yeah, I just feel like if you're going to endanger the safety of your your players, which I think playing in market, I still think playing in market is um, a potentially very dangerous situation. We've seen it with USL and major league baseball. Um, I feel like there needs to be a compelling justification to, to do it. And I think so many games on ESPN plus just, I don't see the justification there. It feels like they're doing it because they feel like they should do it. Yes. I think I mean, that's, yes, that's largely true. what it is, is like, well, we're a soccer league, so we have to have games, right? Um, so let's have some games. I think that is the the down deep driving impulse. Um, I think if you if you could get get someone from the league to talk to you in complete honesty, they would probably tell you something about how ESPN wants to see that we can have games in market uh stage successfully without any real problems and then they'll start them and fox will finish hashing out a deal and they'll sort out who and and um teodien they'll hash out who gets what games and blah 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 that's probably what you would be told is that they need time the broadcast partners need time to hash out who gets what games and in the meantime they tell us you know go stage some games and prove you can even do this so that it's worth our time to figure out who gets what that would be the sales pitch um, but I think really it's just, you know, it's, it's just, uh, well, what do we do? We're a soccer league. We, we have to have some games. It's, it's August. We have games in August. So therefore we will have games in August. Um, I have referenced this kids in the hall skit quite a bit, uh, about the two guys shoveling coal into a, a furnace. And the one guy can't even fathom not shoveling coal into the furnace and the other guy can and it's just this immediate conflict they have because the one guy is full of existential angst because he cannot figure out why he has to keep doing this and the other guy cannot fathom having this existential angst and i think mls is the guy that is like well we shovel coal that's what we do so you know let's shovel some coal um i think that is absolutely why the league is doing what it's doing yeah all right well I feel like I understand a little better now, at least. Um, so, so that's something. We will be right back. We are a soccer podcast. We're going to continue shoveling coal into your ears. So please stick around. It's filibuster. All right. Say you're at work and uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to uh to assert your rights 
in that situation, whether a boss mistreated you, you were fired unfairly, uh, or, or, or something worse happens. Ben, in the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia, you know who to call, right? Yeah, you call the Ehrlich Law Office because you have rights. That's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment. And you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, if you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have uh, a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper and you're dealing with a, a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the ehrlich law office uh if you want a free consultation tell them we sent you go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster back to filibuster the black and red united podcast dc united are going to have hop on a charter flight or maybe a very long bus ride this week to pick up the mls regular season right where they left off back in march a game at fc cincinnati jeff reuter follows fcc among many other things in american soccer for the athletic and he has been kind enough to join us now jeff welcome to filibuster Thank you. I, I will take any opportunity to talk about FC Cincinnati, the, the single greatest team in <laughs> North American soccer. Uh, I, honestly, I mean, like, thank you for having me. This is, I will say this is kind of refreshing because often when I'm brought on to podcasts, to talk about the USL, it's to talk about MLS at a macro level, it's to talk about Minnesota United. Uh, talking about FC Cincinnati is just, oh, that's a delight. So thank you. Thank you for having me. This is fun. <laughs> Well, it's it's our pleasure. What are you drinking tonight? I have a Mirror Universe, which is made by Fair State Brewing in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's a hazy IPA. Love a good hazy nice. IPA. Yeah, yeah. This podcast it, it is good. on hazies is is pro. Okay. Do you uh, have so, a, a preferred so, ABV of your hazies? This is a seven percent. I don't know if we have a threshold that we're trying to clear here. I mean, seven percent is good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I want. I mean. I, I mean People like what they like. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy whatever <laughs> flavors come my way. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, I'm I'm good with a hazy from like some are five percent. Those taste great. Some are ten percent. Those taste great. Yes, they can. But if you have like a second one of those ten percenters, right? Uh, yeah, the haze exactly. Enraptures <laughs> you. It takes you to new dimensions, and uh, sometimes those last with you for a couple of days. And maybe that. Out. Maybe that's that's where I'm. That's my preference. Yeah. <laughs> In 2020, like, if you can just leave this existence for any amount of time, like, you're doing it right. You really are. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. you gotta. Yeah, that was so a very thinly I, veiled, like, drug reference, wasn't it? I'm sorry. That's not what my okay. intention was here. We're off to a rolling start. We're recording at 10 to 15 on a Monday night. Like, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, we are. Uh, you, you are right in line right now. You completely get what we're going for on this show, Jeff. You are more than Perfect. welcome to, to stick around as long as you like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's see how this goes. Why not? I'm sorry to ambush you with a, a macro level question here to, to start things off, but how are you feeling about MLS resuming play in markets right now? Um, man, we were having such a nice time, weren't we? Um, <laughs> look, I, I think that this is a two-part answer. Um, if you're purely looking at it for the soccer ring, if you're looking at it for the logistics, if you're looking at it for um, competition level, uh, all of these like controllable variables that MLS has in front of it, I, I think that they have put together a plan that is as feasible and as risk mitigated as you could possibly have for the players on the field, for the players traveling and the staff traveling with them. I think that if you're looking at those employees, including players, right, of Major League Soccer, um, they are handling it well. The idea to have everyone take chartered flights to and from same day of game, uh, that is sharp. That, that is something that uh, minimizes your contact with outside personnel, whether it's hotel workers, whether it's airport staff, what have you. Um, and that gets around a lot of the issues that Major League Baseball and the United Soccer League have already run into by playing in markets before Major League Soccer. So I will give MLS credit for that. What I do think is uh, not just ill-advised, but actually reckless and dangerous to the communities is hosting fans. Uh, because if you're looking at, 
a USL market, right? And I also cover the United Soccer League, second and third division of men's soccer in the United States. Um, they, a lot of these teams are opening up to 40, 50% capacity, which then for some markets might be a thousand fans, which might be, uh, you know, if fans don't fully turn up to that capacity might be 500, 750, right? Um, I know that we had a, a bit of an anomaly with just how late kickoff was for Sunday night's game um, mm. with FC Dallas and Nashville. Uh, but the first game, if I recall, they, they brought in four-figure crowd. They brought in like two and a half thousand. I, I, I apologies, I probably got that number wrong. Um, Cherry picked that out of my head. But but there are teams that are around there. Okay, yeah, and and I I know that I saw Sporting Kansas City is also looking to host thousands. I know that Real Salt Lake is looking to host thousands. Um, this is not the time to be doing that, in my personal opinion. Like, and not just my personal opinion, right? In, in medical experts' opinions, in doctors' opinions. Um, this is reckless behavior. This is enabling people to spread. This could become a super spreader event like what we saw with Atalanta uh, at the early stages of March um, for the UEFA Champions League, what ended up becoming a super spreader event that went global. Um, do I think that you're going to have the same global impact for an MLS game in Dallas that you would a Champions League game in Atalanta? Of course not, right? Like it's, it's just, it's not the same ecosystem. It's not the same draw. But if you are spreading it within your communities and you as a soccer club, which every MLS team, every NWSL team, every USL team says, every NISA team, that they are community organizations, that they are for their fans, they represent their city, blah, 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 world game back home, all of these slogans that you see every single year on scarves. Um, if you're doing that and you're enabling thousands of fans to get together in close proximity um, and you're not going to be upholding these rules you claim to have for mask wearing, for social distancing, for um, uh, you know, ingress and egress of fans in the stadium. And you're just going to say, well, we tried, we put in the policies, but ultimately how could you police 3,000 people in your stadium not wearing masks all the time? Then don't have 3,000 fans in your stadium. So I, I think that it's that implementation and the actual follow-through of these policies uh, that is I mean, quite literally, like, uh, like uh, sadly, it, it's grotesque, it's awful, but it's a life and death situation in some of these cases. Um, and you don't know. And they say, like, you know, you hear Commissioner Don Garber in his, um, sorry, this podcast is called Filibuster. So I thought that my answers are supposed to be as long as humanly possible. So that's where no, go, 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 go. <laughs> but if you're John Don Garber and you're saying, like, we need to have, uh, you know, we need to try. We, we feel that we owe it to our fans to try, to host fans, to be able to have thousands of people in our building for these games. Um, how many cases to have been caught at these uh, events? How many uh, possible like life-altering, whether it's you know organ failure, um, the, the fact that COVID now the second this is not really a second wave because the wave never went down, but uh, this, this kind of second spread right now is mostly coming from people around my age, either, you know, in their 20s and 30s. Um, so it's not even like it's just like the, the typical soccer demographics are going to be less likely to get affected. Um, and if one person ends up catching like a fatal case of COVID because they went to an MLS game, that's a disaster. That's a disgrace. That should never have been allowed. But why are you even putting yourself in that position to do that? Um, that is the part of MLS's plan that I will never back down from saying was poorly thought out, was ill-advised, was reckless. Um, and, and, and frankly, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's too cavalier. It's, it's cynical. Um, you know, I could, I could throw out as many adjectives as you want. I'm a writer, but I'm also kind of on PTO right now. So uh, I'll try to save <laughs> some of these words too uh, for when I get back to work on Wednesday. But I, I think that there's, um, it, that is the part that I will never make peace with, but the parts that they can control with the actual soccer and transportation, I think that they have done their damn best that they possibly could reasonably do if you're determined you need to play in 2020. I see the that rest a, of my time to the podcast. <laughs> that was a great answer, honestly. Um, I, I'm I'm inclined to throw the league under the bus on on a lot of these things. So it's it's good to hear someone say that they they have done some of the legwork and some of the homework and have thought things through as far as logistics because that's not always clear to me that that's the case. So I'm I'm glad to hear that. Uh, my next question for you, I'm sorry to ambush you again, is actually about Minnesota United. No, I'm kidding. Oh, that's fine. Uh, no, I mean, do whatever you need to do. That's totally <laughs> fine. Let's talk to Mashiko. That's great. <laughs> uh, FC Cincinnati down in or Orlando during MLS in, is back went 
ultra defensive in every circumstance. Is that what we should expect to see from Yap Stam going forward? Or is there an, another look that he's going to, any other mode that he's going to try to introduce to that team? Yeah, I, I think that there's, I, I think that if you're looking at a new coach who comes into the worst defensive team in MLS history, um, what they should be doing is looking to just focus on getting that defense right. Um, because if you're able to keep clean sheets, regardless, that's a point, and that's already better than they were doing on average throughout last season. Um, I think that you also throw in the fact that Yapstam was an accomplished defender in his own right. You can understand where that would kind of be his tendency. That would be the part of his coaching that's more second nature, so you really try to drill that home as you figure out the dynamic of the players, as you figure out who you have on your roster, what you're able to do, uh, working with Gerard Nikamp to figure out um, you know, where, where do we need to make uh, comings and goings within our roster as this transfer window has now opened. Um, you know, I, I think that some of that work could not have been done in time for the Orlando tournament for, again, their first game that they had under the new head coach. Um, so I, I think that it makes a lot of sense that this team would try to suddenly reposition itself as very difficult to break down, but also not looking terribly eager to break out on the attack either. Um, I would imagine now with a few extra weeks of time together um, and a couple of roster moves that they've already made, trading to Tayalashe, trading away, uh, Kakuta Mane to bring in an international spot in the second round super draft pick in, in total um, for those two players. Uh, you know, I, I think that now you're looking and you're going to say, okay, who are they going to bring in for that international spot? No, I, I really don't think it's going to be Mario Goethe. But I think that you're looking then at saying, um, you know, are they looking at another defensive midfielder? Maybe they don't feel that they have the right starting number six for this team, for a Yapstam team. Maybe they say they need more attacking help. Maybe they don't think that Jurgen Locadia is going to be able to be both the goal scorer and the facilitator. And maybe you need to have someone who's doing more of that ladder work. Maybe they're not sold on Kubo or Regatim, you know, all these sort of things. Like they, um, it, it's still a very fresh roster. So I, I think eventually, I mean, like he's Dutch, so I'm inclined to assume that it will be some form of a 4-3-3 as they have been prone to play ever since Alan Koch was fired uh, last May. Um, but you know, I, I think that they will have to show a little more attacking impetus. Like it's a fan base that is so loyal, determined, that wants to see success, that frankly is used to success if they've been following since the USL era, which a surprising number of them have been. When you look at the attendance figures that they were drawing at Nippert Stadium in their final USL seasons, um, and their first one for that matter, uh, I, I think that they are going to want to see the attack wake up. They liked what they saw in doses from Jurgen Acadia, from Frankie Amaya. Uh, from Kubo, I think that they're going to want to see more of that. And frankly, they're going to need more than just three options, one of whom is a 20-year-old who's still kind of figuring out his professional career and where he'll fit in this team uh, under his fourth head coach now in two years. Uh, so, Jeff, I, you you touched on uh, some of the things that I, I wanted to talk about. Uh, but setting the stage, the last time we talked about uh, FC Cincinnati on this podcast was right before uh, the league uh, got canceled. We talked to uh, Laurel Fowler uh, about FC Cincinnati, and she was just talking about that uh, uh, potential trade that you were just talking about. So going a little big picture on the team, what is Gerard Nykamp's feeling of this team? Does he have a consistent vision of what he wants this team to be? And how much is Yapstam having to basically like take what Nykamp has given him and like, and like do the best that he can with what, what he, what he's been given. Yeah. I, I think that, um, you know, I, I think that there is a big part of, you know, you're look well, let's, let's start with this. I mean, you're looking at Gerard Nykamp who is not brought in for the beginning of the MLS roster build. And I, I don't think it can be stressed enough until, you know, there's been a complete turnover, which is going to take three, four, five seasons. Um, that this roster was not built by people with experience building first division soccer rosters. This was built by Jeff Birding, um, who right. does tremendous work on the business side of it, but is not an MLS technical director, general manager. It was built by Alan Koch, um, who, who was able to get some good regular season results in the USL era, but he is not an MLS head coach, nor is he an MLS sporting director. And it was uh, aided in small doses by Luke Sassano, um, who really headed up the, the scouting department as well. But I think ultimately the decisions were made by Koch and Birding in tandem much more than Luke Sassano. Um, so, so you're looking at a roster that was really, I mean, like the, the memes were exhausting at times, right? When you look at, you know, the Nick Hagelin yeah. trade, when you look at how much they paid for 
um, Kendall Washington, you know, but there was a lot of truth in that. I mean, there, there was a lot of just gross mismanagement of resources that every expansion team gets exactly once. Um, and a team that just frankly did not work out and, and certainly was not with the right coach either. You know, I, I think that if you're looking now, I mean, the winter was just, okay, so last summer then, Nightcamp comes in, Ron Youngs was appointed. Um, I'm sure that they don't want me to talk about Ron Youngs too much, but I think that overall, <laughs> if, you're, if you're looking at um, these windows, if you're charting out what their plans were for each of their windows, 19 was just like, grab whatever buckets closest to you and start dumping water off of the sinking ship um, that has a hole in it as you try to patch the hole. Uh, last winter is, okay, maybe we can start to invest in a new ship, uh, but it's going pretty bare bones uh, and we're still going to have some of the parts from the old boat because frankly, we can't afford a full one. Uh, and if I'm really going to force this kind of nautical uh, analogy right now, I think that this <laughs> summer is finally when you're saying like, okay, we can start to upgrade. We can start to look and say like, okay, we we've kind of covered the areas that were really problematic and now we're going to try to make this thing operate quicker. Uh, so it's not just floating, but it's actually progressing. And I think that if you're looking now, um, there is still work that needs to be done for the attack. I think that you look at players like Kudamana, you look at Darren Maddox. Um, these are players who can fit in systems, but if you're looking at a four, three, three, where none of that midfield trio is really going to be more like a, more attacking minded than defensive. It's either going to be 50, 50 responsibilities or more defensive. Um, players are on an Island. Kudamane is not a creator. He's a runner. Uh, Darren Maddox is not a creator. He's uh, figuring out what he is at this point of his career. Now that his speed's starting to go a little bit. Um, so I, I think that you're looking at, um, you know, a, a retooling of that area. How much can you get from Brandon Vasquez? How much can you expect from Locati in the season? Um, so then you move into the midfield, and again, it's the creativity side of it. Is Frankie Maya, Amaya ready to be that kind of main facilitator, or does he still need a year of being a rotational guy and really kind of an impact guy off the bench, in which case, is your midfield going to be able to do enough of that work? Do you think Caleb Stanko is the guy? Do you think that Harris Madunian has enough left to be a player for the entirety of this condensed season? Um, and, and then you go into the defense, obviously, and I think that there's still work to be done. Is uh, Shemislav Titone still going to be your goalkeeper? Uh, or is Spencer Ritchie, you know, w when he was forced back out, um, he, he has played fairly well, all things considered. Uh, do you give him another look? And if not, does he have value to be able to trade him within a league that, frankly, every single team, uh, except for two or three any given season, could use an upgrade at goalkeeper. And I'm not saying Spencer Richie's the top five MLS goalkeeper. I'm saying that you could probably find four or five teams that he would be an upgrade over their starter. So I think that they do have a lot more mobility. They certainly don't have the same allocation money that they should have had. Um, but they do have attractive pieces to other teams, as you saw with flipping Tyalache to the Columbus crew, as you saw with uh, sending Kakuta Mane to the New England Revolution. Uh, these aren't the same players last year where you couldn't find takers, you know, kind of the Emery Welshmans and the uh, Justin Hoyt, bless their hearts. Uh, you weren't finding a market for them within Major League Soccer, which would be the quickest way to get them off your roster. Uh, now you're able to start to make some of those moves, which helps you make other bigger moves moving forward. Well, speaking of, of big moves, um, Cincinnati went and got, this offseason, they ended up signing a guy with six caps for the Netherlands. And this used to be, um, I'm talking about CM De Jong, this used to be like a massive move for MLS. Like this would have been a story for everyone in the league would have been like, we need to stop what we're doing and talk about how this guy who briefly was involved with the Dutch national team years ago uh, is, yeah. coming to, is coming to the league. And now he's someone that by the time uh, Stom, you know, they got blown out by Columbus and he said, I need to figure out how to get this team through this tournament without getting blown out anymore. And De Jong ended up being one of the guys that ended up making way so they could play five defenders. Uh, what is their expectation for him? You, you mentioned earlier the the midfield is probably going to be fairly conservative, which kind of leaves him out again. Yeah, and and he seems to be the player who would be most in line to to, to gain some minutes if it was going to come at Frankie Amaya's expense. Uh, I mean, like, look, he only played. Uh, what was it? He started, I think it was the opener against Columbus. He didn't play against Atlanta. And I think if I remember, he came off the bench against Red Bull. So that's not exactly going to be a marquee player, uh, you know, who, who came up through the Ajax Academy, certainly. Um, not what you'd expect for them, right? But I, I think that you're looking and, and, you know, he is 31 years old. Uh, he's definitely over 30. 
So he's not going to have the same sort of ground coverage that Frankie Amaya will offer you. So I can certainly see where if, if you need to try to have someone who, once you get the ball, you're not going to be looking to just give it to Madunian and to like send it deep uh, and try to sprint onto the ball. If you're actually going to try to play with it at your feet, Amaya makes probably a little more sense given his rate. Um, but overall, I, I mean, that's, that's a player who was handpicked uh, by Gerard Nijkamp. That's a player who was, um, I mean, obviously, like you said, accomplished great things uh, in Holland, uh, certainly with his first stint with Ajax until he went over to Newcastle. Um, and, and that's where you're going to expect more from him. And he is certainly a player who I, I will say hasn't necessarily shown enough yet, but also he hasn't been given an opportunity to really show much more than what he has. So I think that it's, it's going to be interesting to see whether it's against DC United or it's in other games. When does he become kind of the first choice midfielder as part of that three-man midfield? Uh, who goes? How does that change the team? And I think that if you're looking at which, which personnel group is going to tell you the most about how Yapstam is trying to set up his team as far as it being, um, you know, a, a little bit more defensively sound and we'll figure out the attack later like it was in Orlando or maybe a little bit more aggressive, maybe having a little bit more control and dictation over a game. Uh, the midfield trio is absolutely where you're going to see that. The defense by and large is going to look very similar. The fullbacks are going to play about the same way, no matter what the attack is going to be pretty set in stone with the acquisitions they made this winter. The midfield is by far uh, the place in flux, which must be frustrating if you're a Cincinnati fan, because it's the most important part of the field. Um, and it's still the part of the field that they haven't quite figured out. And, and I won't quite go as far as saying they figured out the defense yet. Let me, let me take a step back quick. But I think that they have a coach now who is going to be able to get more out of this defensive grouping than any had previously. So it will be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, the midfield, though, definitely will be something to watch, whether it's Tim DeYoung or it's going to be somebody else who really kind of uh, grabs that by the scruff of the neck and makes it their area of the pitch. So, Jeff, I have an off-the-field question for you. Uh, DC United went through our own terrible time with Flow Sports. We got rid of uh, Flow Sports as our streamer <laughs> a little bit before y'all yes, did. did. Um, uh-huh. Just tell us about Cincinnati's uh experience with flow sports because it wasn't quite the same as dc united's and i don't think it was quite an exclusive partnership like dc united's was but uh what led to them dumping uh flow sports mid-season just as dc united did you know i i think that there was so there was already some anger in general around Cincinnati after about the five game mark because of the on-field play. So, so that is going to make it uh, pretty, pretty difficult um, to just kind of keep morale up blindly, regardless of what you're doing. Right. And it, it, it's a weird size of it, but I mean, you talk to anyone who works in an MLS club or any sports organization and every part of their job is easier, smoother, more fun when the team is winning. Uh, I mean, like you can watch Thunderland till I die and you can absolutely see the worst side of this playing out for year after year. Um, But if I remember right, I'm pretty sure initially DC United actually season ticket holders got a discount on flow sports um, in 2019. After after a, after protesting and and calls to the uh, front office, Mm. but yes, they did. Yes. Okay. So, so they went through all that work. Um, If if I remember right, FC Cincinnati did not start off with any discounts. Um, and so it was actually more than it was for non-season ticket holding DC United fans. Um, and, and I think that Cincinnati being a new team, needing to be able to get into uh, what's not like an oversaturated sports market, but a very dedicated sports market to the teams they have, especially the Reds and the Bengals. If you're going to be able to crack into that yeah, ecosystem, it needs to be accessible. So when FC Cincinnati fans, like everyone else who has to watch Flow Sports, uh, complains about it, and when they start talking about, uh, you know, hey, the stream isn't working, or why is it so expensive, why is there nothing else that I can watch on this except for your games, like, uh, why don't I just drive out of market so I can use ESPN Plus without a blackout, why don't I use a VPN, all of these sorts of things, um, I think Cincinnati was more inclined to just say, like, hey, we need to make this right by the fans, uh, or else we're going to have even bigger problems on our hands. And so I think that that kind of forced their hand a little bit. Um, I mean, I, I don't think I really need to go into details about how Flow was um, 
mismanaged by a lot of people um, and how there was a lot of difficulty uh, for a lot of viewers in terms of flow. Uh, but well, I know that that know. initial, yeah, you do know, you know better than I do, but I think that there was, uh, there was, a, there was a major issue from the start um, with flow where they, they really had to pivot and they had to, um, you know, kind of figure out a new system. I, I can't remember if they actually have something with flow for 2020. Uh, but yeah, I, I think overall from, from what I've gathered, you know, whether it's on Cincinnati Twitter or, you know, just talking to the people that I know in Cincinnati who are fans of the team, um, most of them have found, let's just say alternate ways, uh, to work around flow if that is still the case. Uh, that, that was a common practice in DC during the flow era, short-lived <laughs> as it was, uh, as well. Uh, last question before we let you go tonight. Back on the field, if knowing what you know about Yapstam and, and Cincinnati's moves uh, at this point in the season, how would you game plan against them? Where would you target? What would you try to take away from them? Uh, from Cincy? I, I mean, I'm targeting the midfield because I'm not convinced that they have, um, you know, a very good defensive midfielder. I'm not convinced that they necessarily have kind of that string puller uh, I mean, like you look across the league and you're like, okay, the, the best number eights, the players who are going to play out of tight spaces, who are going to move the ball game forward, but also aren't shy about uh, tracking back to really neutralize. I mean, you're talking about Darlington Nagby. You're talking about Jan Gregers from Minnesota. You're talking about uh, Christian Roldan does that work. Mark Anthony Kay does that work. Uh, you know, you're looking at those guys. Since he doesn't have any of those guys either, and they don't have, um, you know, the best number sixes that you would really expect from a, a team that played as defensively well as they did, uh, albeit against a very bad group, in particular looking at how Red Bulls and Atlanta performed. Uh, so I, I think that you're, you're looking to control the middle of the field. I know that the numbers are going to be compact if they're going to play a three-man midfield, but if you are more uh, if you have a stronger sense of how you want to control a game and they're responding to you and not vice versa, you can draw them out of shape. You can probably force uh, you know, maybe maybe you're tempting a young midfielder like Amaya to just drift forward more so there's even more space open. Maybe you're looking for Sam Young to try to do too much on the ball by taking away Harris Madunian. Um, you know, I, I really am just looking at that midfield and I'm saying, how do I make this three-man midfield play like a two-man midfield um, and get somebody out of the rhythm? Once you're able to do that, you have much more space to work through centrally. Um, Why you could, the, diff- the difficulty is that by and large, um, it depends what's up with Michael Vanderwerf, but I think that you're looking at um, you know, a, a very tall back line, particularly center backs with Kendall Lawson and whoever partners with him. Um, so I, I think that you're looking, uh, crosses won't necessarily be your ally, which with a Julian Gressel team isn't ideal, but, um, you know, you're going to have to pick your matchups. You're going to have to find the right way through it. Maybe you're asking him to play centrally this time instead of, uh, you know, at wing back or whatever. Um, but, but yeah, overall, I am, I am targeting that midfield. I'm trying to run that ragged and I'm seeing how they react to it and I'm taking whatever spaces they allow us to exploit. Oh, the midfield. The thing in the first segment we said was DC United's biggest problem. <laughs> See, there you go. So that's, that's what's going to be interesting about this game, is I think that you're looking at two teams that are weakest in the center of the park, but also two teams who, um, I mean, frankly, need results. DC United, I think, just needs to get some momentum back. I think that yeah. ever since it yeah. was clear that Wayne Rooney was leaving after that Derby County thing came out and after Lucho Acosta's transfer fell through and he was just a totally different player after his flight back from Paris, like, yep. it just felt like the air was completely sucked out of the team. I, I think that you need to get some positive momentum. They, they were, frankly, a difficult watch in Orlando from a neutral perspective. Um, so you and have, from, oh, a, from, and a, from a partisan perspective as well. <laughs> from a fan. Okay, so there you go. Uh, you're watching the game the way we would, I guess. Um, but I think that you um, you then look at Cincy, who obviously have everything to prove in 2020 after uh, an absolute disaster of a 2019. And yes, you had three pretty good performances in Orlando, but it was three performances. Um, and, and one of those performances, if you talk about the knockout round, didn't count for the standings. So you had two good performances in the regular season. Um, so I, I think that there, there is going to be maybe more urgency than you'll find in some other games across Major League Soccer this weekend to really make a strong third first impression. Um, I guess, because that's how 2020 sports works. 
Um, so it will be a very interesting game from that. It might be more of an emotional game than a methodical game, but sometimes those end up being fun. I mean, if you look at like the San Jose versus Vancouver 4-3 comeback uh, in Orlando, that, that wasn't necessarily as methodical um, as it was emotional in the second half. Um, so I, I think that there is potential for this to be a better game than maybe a lot of people are expecting it at face value. But if it isn't a good game, I won't be surprised either. <laughs> yeah, those emotional games are are Ben Olfs and specials, but uh, I think you're right. This this midfield battle is a a stoppable force versus a movable object, and uh, <laughs> that's a great way to put it. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see how it comes out. Uh, Jeff Ruder, thank you so much for joining us on Filibuster. Um, if you could let our listeners know where they can find you online. Oh, sure. Yeah. The benefit of having a, a fairly irregular name is that all my social handles are just exactly what you expect, whether you're looking at Twitter, Instagram, or Venmo. Uh, it's just Jeff Ruder, R-U-E-T-E-R. Um, and all of my stuff's The Athletic. So there you go. That's it. All right. And when you type that in, don't let autocorrect make it Reuter, because that's what mine kept trying to do every time. <laughs> you know, that's what mine Every time. <laughs> still does that. Don't worry. I'm in a constant fight with iPhone after 10 years. Yep. Find us, of course, at blackandredunited.com. If you want to support us financially, do that at patreon.com slash filibuster. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Download, subscribe, rate, review wherever you get your podcasts. Mostly, though, tell a friend about the show when when you are uh, meeting up with people on the sly, you know, in a socially distanced manner make sure you yell across through the mask that that there's a podcast with a great guest that you listen to and it's called filibuster we really appreciate all the the help we get on that front for jason and ben thanking jeff ruder one last time i'm adam and we'll talk to you again real soon say goodbye jason next week more eerie pencil no <laughs> <laughs>